0: marketing the casino for businesses trying to break through to the frontier of success these are the voyages of entrepreneurs dreamers and really naive millennials on a mission to get ridiculously wealthy to seek out new traffic to their stores offices and websites this is Unbottleneck, the marketing podcast taking you to the farthest reaches of online and offline marketing with the elite experts professors and that crazy guy with the weird haircut who has two gazillion Snapchat subscribers and wields his social media influence like a sword from Castle Grayscale dipped in CBD oil and lit with a blue flame ready to break through the tough bottlenecks of marketing. Welcome to Unbottleneck. Now here's your host, the nerd of nerds, Steve Wiedemann.
1: Welcome to your next episode of Unbottleneck the podcast. Where we are fixing bottleneck problems for marketers. Today we have a special guest on our show, Eric Stafford. Eric is a multiple Addy Award winner and Arda award-winning creative director, brand strategist, author, and speaker. He is the creative director at Aim Clear, a data-driven marketing agency, ranked 6X um, in Inc. 5000's Fastest growing companies and winner of several US search awards, including four of the best, uh, four times best integrated agency. Wow, that's amazing, Eric. And he's also an, an expert at direct response design and copy and is known for providing his creative expertise to foster engagement and improve conversions. And I've definitely had some experience with him in that area. Um, Eric is responsible for millions of dollars in sales. He and his family live in a small town in Cape Coral, Florida when he's not working, he can usually be found floating in his pool, you and me both, or at the local gym, twisting his body into interesting and painful shapes, which I don't really want to hear too much about, but (laughs) I definitely want to hear about all this incredible stuff that you do for a living, Eric. Welcome to the
0: show. Thank you so much, man. It's good to see you. I know that you and I get the, the opportunity to work together on some projects, but it's nice to see you in this setting and be able to just have a a conversation with you that that i don't have to take notes on and we both have walkaways and we have to circle around and follow up and get a hold of someone and do this thing and that thing so thanks for having me
1: need to schedule i need to schedule a meeting to uh to review that
0: yeah right that's yeah, right.
1: great and you know one of, one of the favorite things i've i've really enjoyed is is the creative process right like like both of us we put our minds to you know, uh, to our digital marketing plan. And I'm like, okay, here's here's some search terms I'd like to appear for based on how people are using the internet. And here's some things I think could happen. And then all of a sudden, a light bulb goes off. And you're like, all right, here's, here's what we're going to do. And then like, together, we come up with something that, you know, does incredible. Now, I don't know if, if it's been, I think it's been three or four accounts now that we've worked on, where you've more than doubled the conversion rates. And, you know, every every time and of course, we're during a pandemic where clients were like, I'm still not getting a ton of leads. Well, nobody's searching still. But the leads that you are getting are twice as many as what you had before we did this redesign, before we did this rebuild and haven't had a single client come back and say, no, yeah, I guess you're right. Right. So it's like they know they know when they look at the data that this is killing it. So how did you do it? How did you become such a, a genius at taking a site that has got a one percent <laughs> conversion rate and turning it into like a three or a five? How did that, what was, what was that, that journey like for you?
0: So there's several answers. It's a good question, right? There's several answers. One of them is through testing, right? You make a lot of mistakes and you learn as you go. So, uh, yeah. you know, I, I've, I've been fortunate in my career that I've had the opportunity to be in work situations with clients that are, are driving enough traffic that they can okay. test really aggressively. And I would guess, I would guess I've probably run 10,000 split tests over the last five years or so. Okay. And I don't know many other people that have had the opportunity to do that. Right. And so if you keep track of what's happening, you get some insightful data. And I think I think the other answer is I appreciate the kind words, but it's always a team. It's always a team thing. Right. And what I do is not possible without a really good technical foundation and a really good, uh, you know, data, you know, foundation. Right. Like there needs to be a, a data person involved that can pull the numbers and work with you to make sense of them. And then you can make recommendations for updated and ongoing things that you want to test. And so, I mean, I I guess I would say that that probably is, you know, one of the things I enjoy the most about working with you. You mentioned the creative process. Uh, I find that, you know, Uh I find that what you do, what you do specifically, and also what your company does, uh, what I do is not possible without that piece. And and I, I think with, with what you guys are so good at doing and known for doing um, for all sorts of huge and amazing companies. I don't know that that's necessarily possible without the creativity of good messaging and good, good marketing. Right. So it really is a, it's a marriage. I think w- with both sides is how you see success with that.
1: We we tell people all the time, there, there's no SEO without UX. You can't just throw keywords on a page and go, okay, why am I not number one? right? Yep. Um, we've told so many clients like we've got all the right SEO elements here. We've got the right page name, we've got the right titles and descriptions and headings and subheadings. We've got the right, you know, metadata, we've got um, the right image names and alt tags. Uh, we've even got video on the page, but it doesn't flow. It doesn't, it doesn't resonate with the voice of the brand. It doesn't, it doesn't tell a narrative. It's just SEO focal points. And that doesn't work anymore you need to have you know solid ux you need to have a good design and and to your point the developer if if you've got this great page and it takes you know uh, uh two minutes to load nobody's gonna wait for that no matter how amazing the page is and you're like all right i've been on this page for like 30 seconds i think their site's down i'm, I'm gonna go somewhere else
0: yeah. you know and yeah. that signals yeah.
1: the search engines that maybe that was a very helpful page
0: yeah your energy about how you view ui ux human factors conversions very similar to mine in terms of how I view SEO, um, technical development, um, and data, right? Like I, you know, I, I, a good example of this in my personal life is my wife, Wendy. We've been married just as long as you and your wife have. And yeah. she she's <laughs> so very different from me in so many ways. You know, I'm very spur of the moment. I have a thousand ideas. She's very pragmatic. She likes to think before she answers. We are very different. But what I've found in my life is that the way she approaches things makes me better, and vice versa. And I think that if more people thought that way, I guess what I'm saying as you listen to this episode of Unbottleneck, if you're one of the people that complains about those darn SEOs or the tech heads or, you know, the designers, you're probably approaching it the wrong way. I think that you know, in, in today's world, as competitive as it is, as compliant as it is, uh, as expensive it is as it is to run to run media and to grow traffic. You have to be willing to, to incorporate these pieces if you want to see results.
1: You got to listen. Yeah, and if you can't, if you can't, uh, and sometimes I've seen it happen where even an SEO person will tell a developer, you don't know what you're talking about and this isn't going to work. And then and then later on, they're like, yeah, it's just it's not performing the way I want. And it turned out the developer was trying to communicate something that just wasn't resonating with the SEO. And so having. Having that, okay, let's let's try that, right? Let's let's not just say no and say you don't know what you're doing, but you know what? Let's let's try it. Let's see if, um, if if what you're saying makes a difference, and let's try it both ways and and test and see the difference. But when you when you immediately say no to someone or something, now now there's no buy-in. Now they're no, they don't want to be part of it. But if you can get them to feel like you know, that they participated, like it was their idea, um, partially or or you know a big part of it. Um, it's going to be so much easier to continuously get them involved in the project. Yep. So, um, yeah, it's it's right. You're not you're not orchestrating. You're collaborating. I think that's the difference. A lot of SEOs see themselves as orchestrators and not being a collaborative part of a bigger team. So that's for sure. Yeah, well, we did t- put together some questions. Go ahead. Yeah,
0: I, I was just going to say we tend to sort of put down what we don't understand, right? Yeah. Like we're like, yeah, whatever. You know, we don't we don't need that, but.
1: You do. I don't know what you mean about pre-rendering. Let's just make sure that, you know, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. You. So we did put some questions together and um and our first ones and feel free if we're di- diving too deep into some of these that uh, it would take a whole nother call, we can we can absolutely, you know, table something for later, but I thought these were really good questions. The first one is digging into analytics. You'd already mentioned data. I mean, if you're not Doing anything with a data-driven approach, you're just guessing. Well, my competitor's doing it, so I should too. Well, your competitor might not be doing as well as you think. So, but when we do dig into analytics for our clients, we report in terms of conversions, and um, and often it follows. You know, what what does a conversion mean here? We get that from a lot of our our attorney clients, for example. They they don't understand what conversion is. For us, you know, we we get it, and we we have kind of our own definition. But for Uh, For offline purposes, the client won't count a conversion until it actually becomes a customer. So in in your term, what's what's your definition of what a conversion is in digital marketing?
0: So a conversion to me, Steve, is any action that you have predetermined to be valuable to your business that you want to track. right? And I've, I've seen conversions be incredibly different across different businesses and verticals. Uh, it might be that you're tracking, you know, you had mentioned attorney clients, they're tracking case counts. They want to know how many cases they're getting, how many leads they're getting, right? right? But it could also be how many people are signing up for your email newsletter. How many subscribers do you have on your podcast? How many phone calls are, are you getting? How many form submissions are you getting, right? How many people are visiting one page, clicking through to the next page, whether that's an e-commerce situation or whether it's some sort of a other, you know, uh, I don't know, v- value or nur- nurture funnel right and so th- that would be what i would say to anyone listening would be the first step in improving your conversions is having a really good conversation with your stakeholders and with your vendors and your in-house teams to determine what your kpis are what you're measuring and and what the conversions are that you're after that are going to grow your business
1: yep it's obvious for e-commerce right that's like for most people e-commerce is how much revenue and how many transactions Um, you know, came from each digital marketing medium and then setting some goals. We had uh, last year, one of the the restaurant chains we work with had a really aggressive KPI goal for this year after having such a successful online year because everybody went to delivery and takeout. And they said, you know what, for 2021, we want to retain 40% of the traffic that we gained from people who did online orders who didn't previously. Like wow, that's actually a pretty good KPI goal. Normally, your KPI goals, I want to move up fifteen percent in traffic and revenue from what I did the year before. But with the awkwardness of the pandemic and everybody ordering online for delivery and takeout, to want to retain that as we come out of a pandemic, I thought that was a pretty genius, you know, goal. And it's it's something that you know didn't scare us, but you know, it is it is going to be interesting because because we're already watching month over month online orders start to go down. On average for these restaurant chains, it's around fifteen percent month over month. That means 15% of people who were ordering online in February, didn't in March, they went into the restaurant. Yeah. But the traffic's still up. But the conversion and the order numbers are down because buyer behavior is shifted and was starting to shift, which is a, mm-hmm. a great thing for the yeah. world. But for us digital marketers, it's like, Oh, no, there goes our revenue.
0: Well, you know? certainly something <laughs> to be aware of and something to track right. And, and there's going to be yeah. a, a fair number of people who who are a bit more um, introverted after this mm-hmm. is all said and done, right? And they'll continue to stay home maybe a little more often or a lot more often and order online. And so at that point, the question becomes, why would they order from you versus the place down the street or versus, you know, another option, right? And that that's a different type of messaging. But again, you, you don't know these things unless you're forecasting, unless you're looking at data, looking at trends and and setting these KPIs so that you can work towards attaining them, right? A lot of people are just like, I want more traffic. Okay, well, what does that mean for you? I mean what why how where to, to what end right I, they're right. really important questions that i don't think people dig deeply enough into yeah and there's there's a
1: lot they have to look at too It's it's really easy to look at the last month and say hey in the last month we had this many people sign up for this this many people download this brochure this many people watch a video so let's let's base our kpis off this month and i think you and i have both learned that most businesses have some type of seasonality you know, for the restaurant business, it, it tends to amp up a little bit near the end of the year. People are are home and they're they're going out a little bit more. For the retail industry, right? It's it's huge in November and, and early December, yep. and tapers off as you get closer to the the holidays. So it's it's something where you really do have to kind of look at the past year of um, you know what your seasonality looks like to to come up with you know a reasonable you know cadence to really look at what your end of uh, end of the year KPIs are going to look like.
0: Yeah, Aimclear has clients that are planning their Black Friday, Cyber Monday and holiday promotions right now. And yeah. that's, what, six months away?
1: Um, it's smart from an SEO standpoint, too, because those pages now have several
0: months to mature and to get some
1: traffic and to get exactly, some clicks. That's exactly it,
0: right? Um, yep. And not only that, but forecasting timing and budgets and split tests because you don't want to have those things kick off and you're like, oh, wait, let's do a close down sale. Oh, wait, we need a new coupon. Where's the development team? Oh, oh, wait, what are we going to do about this, right? You need to be able to, to some degree, predict what's going to happen and be prepared with assets to react in a couple of different ways, right?
1: Right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my Fullerton students a shout out. I moonlight as a, an adjunct professor, as you know. And this week, we're actually doing some work with a KPI tracker that I gave them. I just basically use Google Sheets. I, come, I came up with three different sections, right? Section one is around technical, technical SEO things that we want to improve upon every month. The next section is of uh, keyword rankings and our market share or share of voice for the keywords that we're tracking and the third section is more important to the client and those are the real how many uh, visits traffic right um, conversions and revenue uh, we're able to drive from uh, our digital marketing efforts so we break it down to those three different groups and then we have a column for each month and then we have three columns at the end and, and those three columns are what what those students are editing one of them is is the percentage what's what's your percentage improvement goal from the previous year which is in another workbook or another worksheet in the workbook um so we come up with that number based on the previous year's information then we have um where we're at currently and and reaching you know whatever that goal ends up being um and then what the percentage is of how close we are to hitting that goal so that way when your boss comes to you your client comes to you and says hey we came up with these kpis at the end of the year uh we're you know almost through the, the first quarter where are we with hitting our KPI goals? You can say twenty uh, percent. Oh, we're on, and we're on pace to to meet or exceed our expectations. Great, keep up the good work. See you later. Right, as opposed to um, you know, well, tell me what's going on and let's go through everything. Through everything
0: papers you know? and yeah, right,
1: yeah. So that's the the goal. All they had to do this week was really just go in, change the percentage, right, and then come up with what the the, the new numbers are going to be for the following year, just so they get their you know their their an opportunity to get their hands dirty with having an actual kpi document which so few businesses seem to have these really days. cool um, next mm-hmm. question i had was really around the buyer journey and conversion funnels so there are different a lot of different models for this right we we talk about the buyer journey a lot there's a lot of folks that get kind of turned off by it they think it's it's sort of um, a cliche um, and conversion funnels of course there's so many different things that we see out there from um, you know, some of these, these squeeze page guys that create click funnels and everything. Could you take us out, take us through how you see a funnel and what the the buyer's journey looks like right now to you?
0: Yeah. So <clears throat> another good question, man, and, and a lot of different answers. I It's like you said, I think, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people look at it in different ways. People talk about top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel. Um, at Aimclear, we, we really talk a lot and, and look a lot at sort of the four stages of buyer awareness, right? And, and, before we even get into funnel specifics right because not not everyone in your audiences is going to be at the same point in that conversation right there are going to be mm-hmm. there are going to be a group of people who are unaware to the fact that they even have a problem and certainly don't know that you offer a new or better or cheaper or more innovative solution to that problem right, right. like there are people out there who don't understand for example that uh, drinking tap water is bad for them and so they're going to want to see ads that say, wow, look at all these contaminants, look at all these chemicals or whatever. And and they're going to go, oh, wow, I didn't even know that was a problem. Then they're problem aware, right? Which is sort of that second audience. That might be someone, you know, who has lower back pain. They know they have a problem, right? And, and, And then, you know, people become solution aware as they learn more. And, you know, they start looking at, well, maybe I use Biofreeze, or maybe i go to the chiropractor or maybe i do yoga and they're looking for solutions right so they're problem aware and solution aware um and and the, the messaging if you really want to see success with digital marketing really has to pull people through these stages uh You know, in an ideal world, and at the very least, address messaging for each of these stages individually. If you have to, right? And e-commerce is a great example of that. People that are in the fourth messaging bucket, you know, or or state of awareness, are are brand aware. They know they have a problem. They know there is multiple solutions, and they're looking at Steve's amazing back cream uh, and comparing it to, you know, Eric's yoga classes, right, or whatever. And and so, you know, often in e-commerce, you see this happen, and that's where, you know, for example. Um, targeted ads to people that have bounced from your site or abandoned your cart that takes them to pages where you you get into the nitty gritty of of what your solution does and how and what it integrates with, or you're comparing it to your main competitor so they can see how it stacks up, right? That sort of messaging would be completely lost on someone earlier in that discussion. It would be like telling them once upon a time, and they lived happily ever after, please buy my stuff right you've missed sort of the whole yeah. middle of that conversation right so that that really is kind of the way i like to look at 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 funnels and at at conversion funnels and and, and is just in terms of a story like that right you have to sort of address all the specific and audience plays such a big role in that too right huge huge right yeah and, and and i mean often that's where you can start is you can start by identifying audiences whether you're leaning on organic traffic or whether you're running paid media or, or all of the above and just start creating messaging specific for those certain audiences, right? That you can apply to your landing pages or to your um, snippets or whatever it is, right? Um, and, and then you can move on and look at paid and start, you know, f- sort of fleshing that out.
1: I love how when you start in the beginning, as you start looking at, okay, I've got somebody who's in this very first phase of the journey, they saw an ad, it wasn't really an ad, it's an ad because we're paying for it. But to them, it was more of an informational piece of content. It was it was really content marketing or a native ad that was um, something that, that we're trying to just sort of broaden our reach with and build some brand awareness with. They get to our website, they read some things they go this is really helpful and then they go like 99% of them will hit that they'll they'll read an article read something you have write write some notes and they're gone and what i see happening is a lot of businesses don't don't do any sort of retargeting you know to go back and bring those people back in you know once once we know where they are and what phase they're in what what placements are we choosing uh, based on the the words that are used the topics um, you know or the the specific content that we can target them when they're in that next phase so now instead of just giving them an informational ad we're we're telling them a little bit more about the problem like you said it's it's that next awareness phase and i I think a lot of marketers don't don't take that into account they don't say okay i'm going to create awareness audience and consideration audience and with each of them i'm going to use different creatives to bring them back until they become a purchaser and then once they become a purchaser i'm probably not going to bug them for a little while and then I'm going to add them to my my in, my cus, uh, customer list and then I'm going to import that customer list back to Google and to Facebook and sell them something else that I think they might be interested in. You know, and I don't see anyone really doing that as well as they could be. I see it, that. It, the savvy it's a huge, it's a
0: huge but, opportunity that I think a lot of people miss, Steve. Right. And, you know, like you had okay. said, awareness, consideration. And what's the third one? Decision. That's I, I often hear uh, funnels being described that way. But I, I, think, yeah. I think it's a huge miss for most marketers um in, in that you know there's there's you know I'll give you an example of of sort of social to e-commerce behavior right often i'll scroll through instagram or tiktok or something else and if i see something that catches my eye that i like i'll click on it which will which will tag me and i'll start getting ads for them right but often what i do is i take a picture of it with my phone so i don't forget it because i i am building a swipe file as a marketer and i like looking at good marketing And so often I'll take a picture of a sweatshirt I want or lights to hang on the lanai. And then when I have time on the weekend or when I have some extra money or I'm bored, I'll go through those and I'll go back to the site and I'll buy, right? The problem though is that in the meantime, most of these sites will just bombard me with 15% off and 10% off and last chance coupons, emails, texts, ads on multiple channels, right? And you know, one of my mentors once told me, you know, you got to tickle people, but if you tickle people too much, they're going to puke and it makes you want to puke, right? It's it's not it's not effective marketing. There, there's there's a reason that I haven't bought and it might be a time consideration. It might be that I prefer to do my shopping on the weekend. It might be I'm checking out co- other competitors. It might be that I have a concern about an API or an integration, but there's going to be something and, and pre-casting that and getting really good at sort of future handling objections, really, you know, you can use that, that theory to build out a really comprehensive messaging strategy. And once you have those pieces, the opportunities just pop up like whack-a-mole, right? Like you're working on a site, you see a keyword trending or something that a competitor's doing that your client's not doing. Oh, wow. Lo and behold, shockingly, we have a ton of great content that matches that.
1: Right. Love it. Yeah. and, And if you, if you, if you remember what the pain points are and you're not getting responses right away from that, that retargeting ad, then figure out ways to give them more supportive content, get them to to follow you on on social by having some really engaging, humorous, fun content so that they become a brand ambassador, even if they haven't purchased from you. I love that. Like there's um, there's vacation travel. I love traveling. My family and I love to travel. And when we find something that's that's really interesting or. um. You know a picture of a maybe it's a house for rent that's in maui or something Um, i'll follow that channel because they're sharing more pictures of more places that we might want to stay later they don't just say say 15 percent now they're like hey check out check out this home that's right on the beach and whatever and it feels like a post it doesn't feel like an ad and then i become a subscriber and Mm -hmm. now i know hey when i'm ready to take that trip i'm going to go to these guys because they're sharing a lot of really cool things that have helped me in that decision making process and i found one i really liked you know, so I, I agree. I think I think there's a, a certain point where you scale back the aggressiveness and you go to, all right, well, you're obviously not ready to purchase yet. So let me see if I can get you to, to, to subscribe or follow me in one way or another across one channel or another so that when you are ready, we're top of mind. Right.
0: Yeah, I love that. <laughs> it's yeah, good- and It's all about a more diverse messaging strategy, right? Like there's just a lot of people saying, hey, look at me. Hey, buy my stuff. And and in certain circumstances, I'll get caught by that. I'll say, wow, look at this cat bed. My cats suck and probably need some toys and some attention. So I'm going to get him a new cat bed um, and I'll buy. But a lot of times, like you said, you know, the opportunity to sort of deepen a relationship and not just provide additional value, but, you know, reality TV is is popular for a reason. People like to look behind the curtain or over the fence and they like to know, who are these people? Where do they eat lunch? What do they do when they're not working? What is their energy? Is their energy, you know, snarky and and silly, like, you know, uh, you know, like like flow from progressive, or is it maybe even a little mean, like Wendy's on Twitter, or is it, you know, trusted the Allstate guy, right? Like who are these people? And and when your content mimics that energy and it is a little bit more diverse and you're thought provoking and you're providing insight not just into what you sell but why you do what you do, right? Like, um, you know, Steve, it, it's very easy, I'm assuming for you to sell because when people get on a call with you, it's Feel not it. no, it's not BS, you're, you're not playing anyone on TV. You believe in what you do and, and, and it excites you still. And that sort of energy is really contagious. And so short of being on meetings all day, how do you communicate that? with your marketing. And that, that kind of ties into brand, but it, it also is storytelling, which leads back to funnels, which is ultimately conversion, right? Yep.
1: That makes it, speaking of conversion, by the way, and that kind of leads us on to our next question. And I get this one a lot. And as, as, as an SEO, the cliche of it depends seems to, to always be my, my first uh, response, but I'm trying to get away from that a little bit. Um, this one's around conversion rates. And I know it's going to be different for e-commerce and it's different for, based on Price points and is it B to B or B to C? But um, a lot of people are asking you know, how do I how do I calculate conversion rate and and what what is a good conversion rate? When you get asked that question, uh, beyond the you know the stereotype depends that that you and I will do. Um, what's a good answer for somebody who's kind of new to conversions, conversion rate optimization, and they ask the question, what's a good conversion rate?
0: I'm not allowed to say it depends, am I? Nope. It it depends. Um, It it does depend, though. Yeah, it it really does depend on a number of factors, right? Like, including what you're defining as a conversion, but also on um, price points and, you know, the business sector you're in. I mean, it's and what you're asking people to do, right? Like, it's much easier to get people to to roll across, uh, to click on an ad and roll through a landing page and enter their email address for a free ebook than it is to get them to buy something, right? Yeah. And and so, you know, we, we've built, you know, landing pages that have converted as high as 60 percent because, you know, when you get someone on, you know, on on the top of the funnel at the ad level or at the SEO level that knows what they're doing, and then you're just continuing that message with the page. And when you're asking for something like an opt-in, it's a lot different than saying, hey, buy this $27 thing, right? Make a commitment. Right. When, saying, when you don't say make a commitment, it's much
1: easier to get them to take action.
0: Yeah. So, you know, to my understanding, the average conversion rate in Google ads uh, on mobile is like 3.5 ish percent, maybe on on search network. Um, Facebook ads, average conversion rate, maybe like 10 uh, percent. Um, but again, it, it really fluctuates and it depends on what you're selling and how. Right. Like I know that. Uh, I know that, you know, if I were a real estate agent, Based on my margins and based on the number of people I would have to talk to to sell a house, I'm sure that number would be very different if I was selling something that was fifty dollars.
1: Yeah, a yeah. three thousand dollar Rolex is much more difficult to sell. I've seen like point, uh, 0.02 conversion rates on some uh, categories. And clients are categories. thrilled with it.
0: And yeah. clients are thrilled with it, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, because like, hey, I just made you know fifteen hundred dollar margin in a minute, right? So they're like, yeah, I'm happy. I'll take it
0: again i mean that kind of comes back to a discussion about your kpis which factors into your yep. price points and and your you know what you're spending to, to get leads and all that sort of stuff
1: so that that comes down to what, what my answer has been to a lot of clients who've asked and in many cases what i'll say is um what's a good conversion rate it would be better than what it was last month
0: <laughs> right so that's,
1: that's it how do we how do we improve our conversion rates this month did we do something with speed Did we reduce some things that people weren't clicking on that were just distracting them? Yeah. Um, you know, what what did we do this month that improved conversion rate? Even if it's point oh 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 one percent, if you have green arrows pointing upwards, you're doing something right. So I think I think the the right way to look at conversion rate is one, what's what's our baseline? What are we converting right now? Yeah. And then come up with a goal. And that way by the end of the year, you're hopefully getting close to hitting that goal or you know, whether they say if you <clears throat> shoot for the moon, even if you miss, you end up in the stars. So yeah. at least um, at least you're heading in the right direction. And for the following year, you can set more conservative goals or more aggressive goals if you if you hit your KPIs earlier on in the year. But continuously challenging the technology and, and design teams to improve conversion rate and speed and uh, user experience and mobile experience and hey, even hands-free experience as we get closer to it is going to make a difference. So I think I think those are some things that uh, if, if the question was asked to the internal team, um, you know, what's our conversion rate goal? You just say better than last month.
0: That's a good <laughs> answer. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's important, Steve, that people understand that in any given funnel, you may be looking at five or six sort of conversion points, right? Like you're running ads, for example. Those are going to have a different conversion rate than you're going to have on your pages that those ads lead people to. When they get to sure. those pages, there's going to be a certain conversion rate of people that click uh, and add things to cart. Then there's going to be a, a certain conversion rate of people that abandon their cart versus those that complete their order, right? So I, I think it's important to really identify what you need to track because all of those breakpoints are are opportunities, really. Yep. And for, every for
1: single it, one of them deserves their own audience, too, that you put into your your Google and your Facebook, like we mentioned earlier, whether they're their cart abandons, whether they they made it through the cart, whether they, you know, made it to a certain page that doesn't have uh, you know a lower funnel intent. I think every single action somebody takes helps define find their audience and putting them into those audiences is it's just so few businesses do that. And it's easy. It doesn't cost you anything. You just go to your ads account <clears throat>
0: and you just add it. That's it. Yeah. And and I mean if you set up a split test at each of those sort of high intent conversion breakpoints, for lack of a better word. Um, you know, it may be that you sort of max out your landing page and you can't beat your sales letter or your landing page control. That's fine. Try and beat your ads. Oh, you, you know, and if once you get that dial in and you can't beat your ads anymore, backtrack down the funnel and look at adding an upsell, increase your average order value, right? Or, or look at um, the bounce rates from the cart and look at, you know, your follow-up email sequences. There's always opportunity and um, but that does sort of infer that you're split testing. And as you listen to or watch this interview, if you're not split testing, as my grandmother would say, shame on you. Shame on you for not yeah. split testing. It's found money. Yep.
1: It's, it's funny to me when I think about how well remarketing does just in general, right? Somebody, somebody got to a page. They didn't purchase. They got into the non-converters audience that you created. Um, you bring them back. But what I find is so many advertisers bring them back to the same page that didn't convert the first time, it still converts a, a lot better than some of our other ads, because they're already familiar with the page. But it's it's surprising that they don't do a little bit of a, like you said, AB you know, testing or split testing to see um, if a different page, if a different version of that page might be more convincing, they just send them back to the same page that didn't convert them the first time. And that's, that's something I think we did earlier on in the days of of retargeting remarketing. But I feel like there's still not enough of that. Like, hey, they they visit this page, they didn't convert, send them to a different version of that page and see if that page will convert. Instead, they just send them right back to that one single page, you know?
0: Yeah, uh, we, 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 tested, um, <clears throat> we tested several e-commerce websites with sending people back to the cart, only adding a timer that says your cart expires in 12 hours and you land on the page and the timer's counting down.
1: Nice. And yeah, we've done that with, with some sites too. It, 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 it kills it
0: every time. Yeah, it kills yeah. it every time, right? Because you don't want to start over. You found it's, stuff it's, that you it's like. It's
1: sales principles, it's, it's urgency, scarcity, right? Yeah. It's all those things that, yeah, it's yeah. true. Especially even when you're on the page and you say, five people are viewing this product right now, and right. there's three in stock. It's like yeah. ooh. Also,
0: also worth yeah. testing that little widget. That's like Johnny in Utah just bought this product. Caroline in Santa oh, i just seen those. The Does yeah. that work? Have you seen that work? It, it depends on the price points and on the verticals and on the product. It, it always depends, right? So I've seen it work and I've seen it not work. Um, the other thing I will say as we talk about scarcity and things like this is that you have to do what you say you're going to do. When I land on a page that's, you know, offering me a digital download or a webinar and it says limited number of attendees register now, I just know that that's BS. Mm-hmm. I just know that, you know, you, you you don't have a limited number of downloadable And, and, PDFs. and even then it's going to be recorded and I can go back later and watch it. Yeah. You don't have a limited number of downloadable PDFs. You know, don't lie to me. <laughs> right. And, and and so that right. sort of thing drives me crazy. You got you to be good to people, you know
1: yeah there's i think there's some click funnel stuff going on in those ones too so we gotta you gotta watch what you click on these days yeah Um, conversion rate right we're talking about conversion rate a bit um what are some things that you've you've seen be successful let's just say you're a small business you're a a plumber or a chiropractor or maybe even a a local immigration lawyer what are some things and some steps that that they can take Uh, you already mentioned split testing which we know is paramount and shame on you if you're not doing
0: some sort of split testing. Mm -hmm. But um, what are some things that they could do to increase conversion rates? So I I think, you know, back to what we originally discussed, Steve, the first thing is really get a good understanding of how you want to get leads and how they best come through the door. Do you want them to call? Do you want them to email? Do you want them to visit the website and fill something out? Like really get clear on what that is. And, uh, you know, once you do that, you won't have social media icons on your vehicle artwork because no one can click them. You'll understand that no one can click those and that that's not what you should be doing, right? You probably shouldn't have a website link on your vehicle artwork because more likely than not, people are going to scan it. They're going to look at the number and want to call, right? And so when you start to really identify what you want people to do a lot of these decisions are going to become automatic when when people land on your website if you want people there to take an action don't put your social media icons at the top of your website put them in your footer you don't want them going off to facebook right and so yeah. a lot of it seems like common sense but you really have to get clear on what you want people to do right and you know if you've got the bandwidth and the team to sort of uh, answer the phones 24-7 or you have a really robust answering service and you can get back to people quickly, then have mm-hmm. your phone number. But if you don't have any of that and it's best that people email you, tell them to email you instead, right? And And so right. we've seen a lot of success just by getting really clear with clients on what their ideal outcomes are to start. And then catering the messaging around that right? Moving elements around the website to kind of match those, those goals. Right. And the other thing I would say is, you know, make it extremely clear what you want people to do and what's going to happen when they do it. Right. If you need X, do Y, Um, you know, uh, need help with your, with your case, call 800 now, right. Tell them what to do because just having your phone number there or a button there that says free consultation, you, you know, you have to assume that people want to be told what's going to happen, what to do, and and what they're going to get, right? Like, and how it here, works. Yeah, sure. click here to schedule your free thirty minute consultation. Uh, you'll immediately be taken to uh, you know a, a form or what whatever it is, right? I mean, it, and and that often in, in improves conversion rates quite dramatically. I, I guess the other th- the last thing I would say is um, clutter. You know, we, we we tend to almost always find Im- improved conversion rates when we remove stuff. Um, when we increase that's, the padding, that's, that's it, right? Increase the padding, increase the spacing, increase the font size, um, remove seven or eight of those gifts that you love so much or whatever it is, right? And And just make it very, very straightforward for people.
1: You know, that slider that nobody's clicking on, those tiny little buttons that don't work on mobile anyway. You know, that's that's the kind of thing that's just distracting and, and takes you away from it for sure. I've, I've seen that so many times. Just get rid of the slider and watch what happens.
0: Yeah. Um, A good way to look um, at it is to think about like what, you know, what would you want ideally someone to do when they interact with your business and how. So whether that's with your business card or your vehicle artwork or your magazine ads or your website, whatever it is, what do you ultimately want them to do and how? Do you want them to call? Do you want them to email? And and what do they get out of it? What's going to happen for them, right? I know Clear put
1: out a newsletter recently where, where and it's probably you that, that threw this together, but it, you showed that most people like to see that, that when they hit that webpage, that call to action sort of front and center, like right there. You know exactly what you need to do. There's some text and there's some, some things going on that you can read and see, but the user immediately knows where they should click. And then together... You know, we'd worked on um, a few sites where we actually put some sticky buttons for mobile users right there so that they don't have to scroll to figure out what they're supposed to do. They know as they're consuming the content what the action is because the first thing they see that isn't going anywhere. It's like right there in the footer. You know, do you want to call us? Do you want to chat with us? One of those kind of two things. And we saw the same thing with one of the restaurant chains when the pandemic started and everyone was ordering online. We simply... Uh, you know, changed their little directions button at the bottom to include start order and almost immediately saw, you know, significant increases in the number of online orders because it was so easy to find. It didn't move. It was right there in, in thumb's reach. Uh, and I think we, we saw that even recently with one of the clients we were working on together. We saw, you know, over a 107% lift in conversion rate simply by, by making those call to action buttons front and center.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Yep. And high contrast. I mean, if you know, if you love blue and your website's blue and and hey, why are you laughing? I'm not talking about your site. I'm talking about other people. Let's say, let's say green. If you like. All right. Green might be a bad example as well. Let's say yellow. <laughs> let's say that you like yellow. Um, if your entire brand's yellow, that's great. You know, I get it and I love that. But your buttons probably should be a high contrast color, right? Because mm-hmm. you want your buttons to stand out. In your call to actions, right? You want them to stand out on the page. You don't necessarily want them in that in that company branded blue or green, right? So any any contrasting but complementary color that you can use for those, we've seen a lot of success with like oranges, yellows, uh, because they again they just stand out.
1: Yep, I remember it was two thousand two thousand two. Might have been a little bit two thousand one two thousand two we watched Amazon at one o'clock in the morning changing colors and positions of their button. And I, I know they finally ended up on one color and one look and presence or whatever, but it was really interesting, you know, as, as we did that as an exercise to watch how Amazon every night was just testing different ways to, to, you know, place their button, what color to use. And it was it was the most fascinating thing in the world to watch. I'm sure they don't do it quite as much now because they've, they've kind of honed in on what works, but but um, I think they, they created a good roadmap for other businesses that you know, don't really know what color should I use and where should it be placed and how big should it look? And there's no, there's no answer, it should be all of them, test them and find out what, what users respond to the most. I don't see really a lot of that happening.
0: Yeah, I, I actually have a friend who's an information architect at Amazon and yes. I can unofficially, officially, hypothetically, allegedly let you know that they split test the hell out of everything still. Oh my God! I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't yeah. It. yeah, they definitely do, and and it's smart, right? Because I mean, even even just a tiny fractional percentage of an improvement, um, mm-hmm. based on the volume they're doing, is dramatic. It can result in a in a in a huge wins very oh, cool We
1: talk about how much traffic they get. I mean, yeah, just millions of dollars a day going through that site, and you can imagine what being able to make a purchase faster could mean in dollars. So, yeah, yeah, and that- um, <clears throat> I got a fun one for you if you're up, if you're up for it. Yeah, something that uh, that I have at home on my wall, thanks to a amazing uh, artist, friend of mine who I'm talking to right now, um, has a background in art and you've immersed yourself in creative endeavors uh, and enterprise uh, through the year. What what do you recommend for creative teams and creative directors and creative writers in order to produce truly persuasive content that leads to results? That's a tough one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's a good question. Can you use it in a sentence?
1: <laughs> so, so, um, can, you, can you read it backwards?
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah, I mean, I, I always cringe when I hear people talking about creating content because it, mm-hmm. it sounds like work and it sounds like it's something you have to do as a job that no one's going to like, Um, mm-hmm. you know, or, or listen to, you're like, Oh, I got to take the trash out. You know, I, I got to create content. And, um, you know, I, I, I guess write an article, I have to write
1: persuasive content, <sighs> you know? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, I, 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 guess really some of this kind of comes back to brand voice and it's much easier to, <clears throat> excuse me, it's much easier to be yourself than to play someone on TV. Right. And so you've sort of created this brand where you're, you know, SEO Steve and I'll tear down your site, and you're this tough, loud, <laughs> abrasive wrestler guy. You're going to uh, struggle to create content if you're not that that person in real life, right? I mean, yeah. and, and so I, I think you know that I think the authenticity, you,
1: okay. yeah, that,
0: that's it, right? I think it makes it much yeah. easier to communicate, and, and conversely, you know, if you're if you're not comfortable on camera, I don't care how many experts tell you to start a YouTube channel, you probably should not be doing that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you or or you know, if you're in a larger That'd be order, cringeworthy. Right. Well, not only that, but you won't enjoy it, and it will be like taking the trash out, right? And 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 so, if you're with a bigger team, I would really look again, like when we talk about conversions and looking at ideal outcomes. Similarly, with content, you know, what is your bandwidth to create content? How does your team most effectively produce content? Are you guys writers by trade? Naturally, do you like writing? Right. Or, you know, or do you prefer video? Right. And and I, I think these are questions that a lot of businesses just sort of forget to ask themselves. They're, you know, they're like, we need to be on this Twitter. What we have
1: to do just do it. Yeah.
0: Right. And so I think really looking at how you individually or, you know, if you're, a, you know, a, a solopreneur or or the face of your brand or you as a company are geared and, and set for creating content. And and that's a great starting point to work around that. Right. And 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 when you factor in authenticity and you start looking at, you know, what are the channels we would be on to reach these audiences that we want to communicate with in a way that that they're going to respond to, but also in a way that we can effectively continue to produce content without feeling like it's work, without burning ourselves out, right? Because when you do it right, it should be a joy. It should be the best part of your day, right? Like I've been looking forward to this interview all day um, because I, you know, I love I love working with you. I love, you know, counting on you as a friend. And I love the work our our companies do together and uh, podcasts and And
1: we're both passionate. Yeah, we We get to
0: talk about marketing for an hour. Right. So is this producing content? You know what I mean? Um, It's not because we put some thought into 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 how that might actually work.
1: And I know I know one of the things that's always worked well for us as a business, even if we're not amazing at writing or amazing at at something, if we if we just kind of think about a creative way that we can uh, express ourselves as a company, as a group and and share something in a way um, that's a word I wanted to use, especially with persuasive copy. It's educating, right? We we might not be able to say, here's why you should buy our service, but we could say, here's what kind of uh, here's what you should be looking for in this type of service and and you know how we offer that and how some other folks might not right and that way you're you're educating which you probably are passionate about because you're good at what you do and if you're educating you're not really selling it's just taking that that educational content and and adding some ending sentences that's that hopefully convince the person to give you a shot or to try you know and i think um, i think that's what's really helped us when over the years when we do get a random order for somebody who says, hey, I want to buy a, an hour of your time for 350 bucks. I'm like, I'm so shocked by that. But then I go back and look at the page and I'm like, I educated the person on that page. Here's what to expect. Here's what you should be asking. Here, Here's what you should have ready when you're on a call with us. Um, here's what you can expect to, to get out of it. you know. And, and I feel like a lot of it's really just educating the client more than it is trying to sell them. And that way you are not you don't really have to sell them. They're educated enough that they trust you and they want to buy from you. Anyway, that's something yeah. I've noticed.
0: Yeah, I um, mean, it, it really okay. helps to believe in, in what you're selling, right? So, I mean, salespeople yep. that are in jobs where they don't believe in the product or their product is actually a lousy product, those companies right. don't tend to last long and those salespeople don't tend to last long, right? Yeah, but we've,
1: like, we've turned down companies that were like that too. We're like, you know, we've decided we're probably not a good fit for you. All the time. Right? And we, we're going to make it, it's it's not it's not you, it's us. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because we just know this. This is not going to work. Or you just get off that first call where they said, "I want to be number one for this keyword." And you're like, you know, I don't know if we're going to be a good fit because we don't really use keyword rankings as a measure of our success. We use it to to kind of pulse how um, how our our visibility is, but we don't we don't use that as a KPI. Our KPIs are are really how we're driving more business. You know, and uh, and so yeah, there's there's those moments where you have to decide. You know, this is this client going to be the right one for me and if they're too hung up on something that that's complete opposite of of how your product or your service works then it's okay to say no to clients even if you need the work it's sometimes it's just not worth it
0: that's right <laughs> yeah
1: well what what are some of the mistakes you've noticed and pet peeves about the content you've been seeing published hmm. uh, i can tell you some of mine for sure Um, sometimes from major enterprise brands that have just annoyed the crap out of me recently Um, is there a thin content issue i know google said there's this farmer thing and they want you know more than just kind of thin content uh rushed or sloppy content what's your take what what's your pet peeve or what have you noticed that really kind of irritates you about content
0: yeah, I, I think we I think we covered it a little bit already I mean my answer would go back to what we were talking about a couple of minutes ago in terms of content that feels like it was work and that it was produced because the company felt like they had to produce content mm-hmm. um, I, I think I think it's uh, it's very easy to sort of sniff out stuff that doesn't ring as true or genuine or, or yes. created for the purpose right. of helping right right um, and that might be seen, something as simple as yeah, that might be something as simple as something technical where someone who doesn't understand how content marries with proper SEO has just sort of hacked apart a really educational and informative and helpful article for SEO purposes and made it horrible and unreadable
1: stuff the page.
0: <laughs> right. And you know or 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 similarly someone who's no good at video that's done a bunch of videos promoting their brand because they heard that everyone loved videos. I think oh, it's right. really too, too many videos
1: you're like oh, I don't have I don't have 3 hours to watch all this video right I just want to know if this attorney is going to be able to help me and then you read the page and it's like personal uh, injury attorney Joe Smith is the personal injury attorney that you should hire if you need a personal injury attorney <laughs> <laughs> You're like what the hell am I reading right. But it's true they they do that and and major brands uh, I've seen them make the the mistake of of using when they say hey we really need to appear for this keyword without even thinking about what the user's intent is, they'll order an article and they'll have an article and the person's looking for a product or a service and they get this article and they're like, does this person even sell anything? Why am I reading a blog post? I'm looking to buy something or the opposite. I'm looking to read an informational thing to, to solve my problem. And I got to this page and you are just trying to sell me stuff. I, I I just came in here because I read a, I was looking for how to, why to, what, strategy tip. And I get to this page and all I'm getting is why I should buy your product, and it's—I feel like there's a huge disconnect in in the leadership on some of the the content yep. teams of of really helping inform them of who their audience is and what their intention is. And so many businesses still use text brokers to order content without giving the right direction about That's the right. intent of what the user is. You know, yeah, that drives me crazy. That's that drives
0: my me crazy. Yeah, I think another, another thing that I see a lot of that drives me crazy is messaging that's solely focused on buy our stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in today's day and age, you really need to do better than that. You need to be um, insightful. You need to be you can't just curate content and post, you know, inspirational memes and buy my stuff. Right. Yeah. You, 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 you can't. Just, There's something missing there. Right. You For can't sure. just post links to an article on the LA Times and then post buy my stuff. I think you have to be insightful. You have to have philosophies and share your philosophies on your industry and on your work and yeah. why it's important to you. And you have to let people behind the scenes to get to know you and your team a little bit. I, I think it really all plays together. And, you know, you, you asked a minute ago about um, about certain message strategies on, on certain channels. And again, it like audience research is paramount and company brand and finding that brand voice, they all tie together, right? Like I, I, I could see progressive insurance, which we talked about earlier on the call, um, really doing great on TikTok. all state, not so much. Right. But you know, it's important that you sort of have a grasp of that bigger picture and why that sounds right to you when you hear me say that. And it's because you really have to look at your audience, where they're at, How they expect you to show up who they expect you to be and and you have to be ready to show up with more than just uh here's a cool article i found by the way buy my stuff it's just not going to cut it
1: and that's let's hope that the the business industry after this pandemic is with their new found passion for digital marketing you know we'll, we'll take that into account hopefully if they're listening to this podcast that they'll go back and go right we need to really relook at our pages one thing i've i've recommended in the past is is particularly for organic and search is to go see the 10 pages that are appearing on the first page of google's results to see how their page compares up both in how it reads titles and headings and and images and and media that are on the page absolutely Uh, you'd mentioned aesthetics and fonts and sizes i'd look at all those things uh, to see how you can improve your page instead of just saying well, let's just kind of do our own thing yeah. without looking at what's already working for people. It's, it's sort of,
0: it's a, a no brainer. It's like split yeah. testing. It's a no brainer. It's found money.
1: Yeah. Why start yeah. from scratch? All right. Last big question we got before we go into my little lightning round and I knew you are hoping I put some lightning rounds on our, uh, our, our notes, but nope, they're going to be all shockers for you. Um, Uh-oh. so here we go. You ready? Um, we often noted that SEO is a sprint and, and, uh, It's not a sprint and it is a marathon. It can take up to a year to happen before you really see some keyword rankings. Um, About creating momentum, it's about really kind of moving the needle forward and putting water and sunlight on content. Uh, What are the most important elements of creating truly compelling messaging that doesn't just create a one-off successful page, but really leads to sort of long-term overall growth?
0: Can you use that question in a sentence? Absolutely. So, what are the most no, no, important? I, I, I think it's of really,
1: compelling messaging.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a really good question. Um, uh-huh. Man, there's so many. Uh, there, there's so many different you know pieces that you can factor in to your messaging to really make it compelling. I I, I would say start by really understanding sort of the the seven core plot types that okay. everyone on the planet is super familiar with. Never heard of that. Okay. No. Um, no. Never yeah, heard of that. Yeah, and then the book Persuasion by Robert Cialdini, um, okay. you know, mentions you know scarcity, and it mentions some of the other sort of core drivers for how people can be persuaded. I think okay. starting with those would be a really good way to to start to understand how your messaging can sort of fall into cadences and rhythms and lean on certain things that are sort of proven over time to work really, really well. You would mention scarcity. Uh, another one I'll mention is called The Zagarnik Effect, which okay. I'll tell you about the next time you have me on your show for an interview. Dude. Sounds good. Sounds like a game plan. That, 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 uh, actually, can... that actually is the Zagarnik Effect, right? And when I was a kid, the Batman television show used it perfectly. At the end of every episode, Batman would be hanging over a pit of boiling <laughs> lava, and they would say, Steve what's going to happen? Will he escape? Patch, See you know. next week. Right. Right. And so I think there are certain ways that you can do that. You know, people expect things in, in numbered lists, three, five, ten. And uh, if you provide two and not three and you tell them you're going to give them three, that creates an open loop and they're going to want to know what the next one is. Right. And so there's certain things that can be done to sort of I wouldn't say manipulate people, but I would say ethically persuade them to come to their own logical conclusion of what to do next, which also happens to be a conclusion that you share wholeheartedly.
1: I believe that, and I, and I think a, a a short sort of hack or start starting place that that businesses can can look at is look at customer reviews, right? If you if you look at what customers are saying about you, they're kind of creating your messaging for you because they're telling the world what they think of you, and they're using words to describe um, who you are, your products, and if you take all of that into account and you spit it back to the world and say, you know, this is what the world thinks of us. Uh, in a way that says, this is hopefully what you will enjoy from us because this is what other people do. And then looking at the competitors. I remember back in the day when baggage, um, you know, the, the baggage claim thing, they started charging for that. You know, they never did that when I was a kid. And what I noticed is that airlines that did really well would would take what people were saying about, the, oh, God, I had to pay baggage and that, that's stupid. and It's just a waste of money. They put right on the front of their homepage, no baggage fees, right? They immediately identified the pain points of what of reasons they they were frustrated with their current choices and they turned that into their messaging to say we're we're different we understand um your frustrations and we're not going to be part of it and i thought just looking at your own reviews and what people are saying and and what people are saying about the competition can help you to put some of that messaging together if you haven't really done a whole sort of branding exercise
0: absolutely yeah and i I think it's equally important that you you know send out surveys and ask your audiences what they actually think of you because You know, what you feel you're communicating very clearly may not be what people are picking up at all. And it's good to know what those gaps look like.
1: Or worse, they don't care about it at all. You don't even know what what their cares are. You're just saying, this is us. That's right. Great. But that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for one that is this, this, this and doesn't do this and that. Right. And if you don't say those things, then you might not have connected with them the way that um, you probably could have. Yep. Well, you ready for lightning
0: round? I am, but before I do that, you had mentioned that you would not really heard of the seven sort of basic prototypical I had it. plot types. That was a new one. Yeah. Um, it, I'll send you a book, um, but for everyone okay. listening to this episode of Unbottleneck, I would encourage you to Google it and look it up and think about it because there are sort of certain plot types that have been used over and over again over time um, to tell stories, and everyone is subconsciously very comfortable with these plot types, and and when you can apply them to your marketing, you're going to see really good results, right? I, I won't share all seven of them with you, but um, one of them is rags to riches, which of course, you know, Aladdin, right, or or other stories of that nature, and one of them is overcoming the monster, um, and you hmm. see this a lot, um, you know, in, in medical marketing, where the monster is some giant industry, or, you know, this industry is out to to take advantage of you, or it's some huge disease, you know, cancer or or whatever, right? So
1: it's the seven plots. What's the the phrase?
0: Seven I would plots. I would Google like seven basic plot types. Okay, something like that. Uh, comedy. Comedy That's is good. one of them. Yeah, it's very good stuff. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pull the Zagarnik effect on everyone and ask you to look it up yourself to learn the other four.
1: <laughs> that sounds like a challenge. All right, here's our lightning round. You ready? Yep. Let's do number it. one. What is your favorite tool that you like to use when you're doing conversion rate testing?
0: Oh, boy, there's so many. I'd have to say right now at the moment it's Hotjar. Okay. Because I really like to look at scroll depth and page depth and where users are dropping off pages, especially on mobile. Um, I think it's really important on mobile, right? Because any page you've got on your website, even if you optimize it for mobile, it's going to tend to be longer, right? Because it's more narrow. And so I'd have to say that would be my answer, hot jar.
1: All right. Who should we be following on social? And if we want to kind of see what's being talked about and shared and and sort of, you know, virtually pick the brains of the experts out there who are who are your top two or three social media profiles that we should follow? Obviously you. Right. And we got to make sure we get your Twitter hand Twitter handle in here. But um, who else? Who do you follow that inspires you and and Helps you get better at conversion rate optimization?
0: Oof, boy, there's so many. I'd have to start with Marty Neumeier, who is the okay. author of a book called The Brand Gap. Um, in terms of conversions, I might say follow um, Justin Christensen, who runs an agency and wrote a book called Conversion Fanatic. Um, I think he's a good follow. And then uh, let's see, a third one that I follow that I really get a lot of inspiration from. I'm going to say... A copywriter I've known for years named Chris Haddad, who uh, who writes primarily in the online dating space. Uh, how to okay. text your wife back? How to how to you know save your marriage? That sort of stuff.
1: I've seen some stuff like that on social. I wonder if that was the same guy I saw. He so he
0: writes publicly as Michael Fiore, um, okay. but he is a extremely skilled copywriter. Outstanding.
1: So thinking about um, just everything that you've been doing and and how you've been helping the industries. And there's there's moments where you're you're talking to a client and you want to give a reference like this site always converts great or has the the most simple UI. What are what are some of your favorite sites that you refer to often uh, when you're talking to clients and giving them examples?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, they're always different, right, based on stuff I come across and also based on the vertical or industry. Um, Are there a
1: few that you find that you're referring to often? Like I used to always refer to Neil Patel's high converting landing page example. Well, years ago. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know that Justin Brooke had uh, the ultimate landing page at one point, which was one that we had also, you know, split tested the the heck out of and got to a point where um, it, it was our control in a number of different verticals as well. And it just so happened to be very similar to his layout. I think that's probably uh, worth looking up. That's Justin Brooke from AdSkills, the ultimate landing page. Um, You know, Amazon, you know, you got to look at what what big players are doing when it comes to e-commerce. Amazon, Target, uh, Walmart, you know, when you look at their sites, you can start to see what they're learning from each other. And I would definitely apply that to your business if you're in e-commerce.
1: Got it. And if somebody wanted to have a career in conversion rate optimization and they looked at you as, as you know, the, the person that they want to be like. What are what are some things that they could do to fast track their way into being an Eric Stafford?
0: Yeah, I would read a lot. I would read okay. a lot. Uh, and, and, you know, books about copy, books about uh, visual design, direct response copy, direct response design. Um, the Gary Halbert letter is a great resource. Um, you okay. know, uh, years of, of newsletters, he wrote about the art of writing direct mail. Mm-hmm. Uh, that are all archived online for free. Um, very worth reading. The other thing I would say is get yourself into a position where where you're working for or with someone who has enough traffic that you can start testing things. Because that okay. really is, uh, I would guess you would probably you say, that's one of the secrets to your success as well, right? Test, test and, and oh, make yeah.
1: mistakes. And, I've hit that 10,000th uh, hour, as they say.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> l- learn as you go, right? Test, test, test.
1: Are there, are there some conferences that you recommend for folks that are really into user experience and conversion rate optimization that you enjoy attending? Uh,
0: I like I'm PubCon sure just now. because I'm the only one there that talks about this sort of thing. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I do love PubCon. They, they talk a bit about social and about content, but they don't talk a lot about conversion. Um, yeah. You know, I, I like Digital Marketer. is a great conference. Um, it's a big mm-hmm. conference, and they tend to have sessions that talk about you know conversions, copywriting, storytelling. So I like that conference as well. Cool, right on. Well, those are my lightning round questions. I, I gotta tell and you, I thought the lightning round was gonna be like, "What's your favorite John Cusack movie?" Or like, you know.
1: <laughs> well, we already like, know that one. It's the same as everyone's, right? What is your John, favorite John Cusack movie?
0: Say anything.
1: <laughs> there you go. So I gotta get you the big radio and the trench coat, and you know right. you'd
0: be rocking. <laughs> right, I'm showing my age, but yeah, it's a good movie.
1: We'll definitely have to save that for the next one for sure. Well, Eric, this has been amazing. Um, what are what are some ways that people can get a hold of you if they'd like to, um, you know, follow your social or or um, pick your brain or or maybe even hire you and name clear to do some conversion rate optimization or or web design? What are some ways they can get a hold of you?
0: Yeah, the, you know, I'm not super active on social at the moment, um, but you can definitely find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram under and Twitter under my name Eric Stafford or Eric D Stafford. Best way to probably. Yeah, with a day. Um, and you can also catch me at aimclear.com is probably the best way to reach me.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for being on our show today. And guys, thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. This has been Unbottleneck with Steve Wiedemann and Eric Stafford. See you guys next time. Thanks, Steve.